You're listening to the Faith Made Welcome podcast, a progressive podcast of faith where we look at Christianity from a progressive Baptist tradition. This podcast is brought to you by Commonwealth Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. So whoever you are, wherever you are, or whatever you think about faith, you're welcome here. Please let us know what you think about our podcast by subscribing to it or by sharing it with someone who may be looking for a podcast like this. And we would love to hear your feedback. So please leave us a comment or question on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Let's get started. Yes. All I can think about is the first, like, that scene in the movie Clue where it's like one plus two plus two plus one or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is what, week four of the Faith Made Welcome podcast? That's correct. Mm Mm-hmm. And who do we have in the room today? I am Robin, one of the pastors of Commonwealth Baptist Church. Welcome, Robin. And I am Marty, the other pastor at Commonwealth Baptist Church. Indeed. And I am still Sherry Spiegel, a deacon at this fine church. And today you will hear a fourth voice on the call, a voice that's always been in the room but has been muted before. Who do we have? Uh, after proving my my metal behind the mixer uh, today, I'm Mike Drop. So uh, this is Paul Fitzgerald, uh, and I'm I'm happy to be here. Great, I'm happy to be here. Paul, do you want to tell our lovely listeners who you are? Um, I am a uh, co-host, co-founder of uh, this most unbelievable life with Woo-hoo. Sherry Spiegel, uh, and uh, we are we are working together on this podcast as well with these these fine people at Commonwealth Baptist Church. Um, Anything else you want to know, or is that does that do it? I mean, I know a lot already. I was just curious if you wanted to tell our listeners things. Thank you. Uh, some of our some people may listening may know about me from some other things that they've they've seen me on, uh, and I'm happy to be here. You make it sound like you're famous on the internet. You are kind of, mm. um, or maybe just famous within our church. So. Right, right. Well, Paul did a uh, I'm famous within this room. So. Uh, meditation group for us here. Yes, indeed. He is famous at this church. So some people know him from our church. (laughs) Yeah, some people may recognize. Yes, we're a church that loves people hard, and Paul is one of the people we love. It's wonderful. We also claim people. We do. kind of just like, you're ours. (laughs) Boom! Yeah, that's right. Like, Paul at this point... I've been claimed. He's not a member of our church, but he's like... You don't really have a choice about it. It's just... He's been claimed. He's like one deacon meeting away from having a deacon at this point. You don't get to choose whether or not you join this church. (laughs) CBC chooses you. (laughs) It's like you go to adopt a cat and they pick you. Yeah, right. Right, right, We've chosen you, Paul. Welcome to Commonwealth Baptist Church. (laughs) Like it or not. That's our new tagline. (laughs) Like it or not, you're one of us. (laughs) It's not bad. <laughs> it is like the it is like the owl showing up with your Hogwarts letter. Yeah, isn't it? You yeah, yeah. You'll be getting your letter any day now, Paul. Ah, yes, I'm in. Yes. So we're week four, and we are finishing up our activist preacher sermon series. I got to say, I'm a little sad. I think this has been a really fun. Yeah, it's been good. It's been a fun set of sermons. Not that I'm not just ready to have you guys back at the mm. pulpit, but it's been super fun, right? Yep. It's been um, a lot. Yeah, it's been good. I'm sure it's been nice for you all to be doing other things besides. There not that you have other things to <laughs> <Right>. do. <laughs> I wasn't about to say like, boy, you've had some easy times, but uh, you've been able to focus on the nine thousand other tasks that you do for our church. So, so that's cool. Uh, so, uh, who was our preacher this week? So our preacher this week uh, is Nicola Torbett. Mm-hmm. She describes herself as a spiritual seeker, a recovering addict, gospel preacher, podcaster, writer, resistance fomenter, dog walker, nonviolent direct action trainer, and abolitionist. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Right? It's a whole lot. So right? she, I believe, is in Oakland. Okay. And she uh, co-founded uh, something called Seminary of the Street, which was a training academy for love warriors, mm-hmm. and something else called Second Acts, which is a liturgical direct action affinity group. Mm-hmm. She has co-edited Respicence, a Lenten devotional for dismantling white supremacy, and she contributes regularly on um, a Surge Faith podcast called The Word is Resistance. So she seems busy. She seems very busy. Um, this is a person whose faith is very much in action, right? Very much in action. Very much. 
yeah. which is why we asked her um, to participate in this, that she would be and proved to be someone who is putting it in action, living it out loud, and can model for us, like, here's here's what it looks like to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. So... She, like our other preachers before, was answering the question of what the world needs now. What does she say the world needs now? Her answer is what the world needs now is our longing for life. Mm. That's a good answer. Right? Yeah. So what's she saying? (laughs) Well, she used the the passage Mark 10. She's a really terrible past descriptor. <laughs> and you know, because you just preached about it in March. I, so, and I want to talk about that I too. I hated it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mark 10, 17 through 31. Mm-hmm. Which, if you know Mark, Mark doesn't give you a lot of details to expand upon. It's pretty cut and dry, you know. It's just like cliff notes of the good news <laughs> where, you know, John, he will tell you something and then explain Three chapters, why... With lots of metaphor. A lot of metaphors, why, you know, vine and branches and stuff like that. So anyway, um, this passage is talking about um, the guy who comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells him. Jesus says, you need to obey the commandments. And his answer is, I have. And Jesus said, well, great. The other thing you need to do is that you need to go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And that was a bit too much for him. And he walked away because uh, the passage says he had many possessions. Mm -hmm. So he's the rich guy. I love how Nicola Torbett does tie this parable in with longing for life Mm -hmm. uh, because she paints this image of this man having a lot, right? He Mm -hmm. has a privileged life, but he's wondering if there's something more. She starts out the sermon by talking about zombies. Um, And when she did that, I thought, where is this going? (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that too. So Marty just listened to the beginning of it the first time like he tried. I was like, oh, is the sermon good? And he was like, well... It starts out talking about zombies. <laughs> I'm not sure where Which it's going to cool. go. Right? Which is cool. Which is I don't know what the rest of the whole analogy is, but it was like, I heard zombies and then I had to cut it off. For but she starts out by describing this direct action that yeah. happened in Hamburg, Germany. Right. Was it in 2017? Yeah. Where like yep. these people dressed up like zombies and it went on for like three or four days in a row. And then all of a sudden when there were like a thousand zombies walking around the city, this one person finally starts ripping off the gray and has bright, colorful clothes on underneath. And then I think he goes and hugs mm-hmm. another zombie. And then that zombie, they rip off the gray and there's bright clothes underneath. And so so she, she uses these metaphors to describe this rich man who has this privileged life, but still wonders if that's all there is. Like, do things get better? Raise your hand if you can relate to that experience, right? right? And then when Jesus says, you know what you need to do, obey the commandments, he's like, no, like, I'm doing that. Is this, you know, like, if I'm doing that, does that mean that this is all there is and it doesn't get better? Right. And Jesus then is like, well, there's this other thing. There's this other thing, yeah. (laughs) I love how she really emphasizes how Jesus is like super compassionate and loving in his response. Um, and it reminds me because for in, you know, me and Paul's other version of our lives, we are professors, right? Um, and so I feel like one of the things that we're getting asked a lot this week is kind of like, well, how do I get an A, right? Yeah. And it feels kind of like the same question. Um, and he and I, Paul and I were recording something for our students last week, and we were talking about how this is kind of the wrong question. Um, but we still have to be very loving in how we answer it. Like, the question isn't, how do I get an A? Like, But we do have to have a conversation about, well, why are you asking that question? Yeah, there's a sort of a, a, another sort of question that I, I got very recently from a student within the last couple of days. It was, what are the tests like? And that sort of plugs into this as well. So it's like, so I'm, I'm going to live this life in, in Christ that I want to do Christian things and I want to follow this guy. Uh, and I did these other things, but I'm still not quite there yet. So what is the action? Like, is that the test? Cause you know, is there more to it? Cause I'm feeling unsatisfied. Right. What is the test? 
what is the test? Is it multiple choice? Is it essay? Is it? Those are so questions I would ask. <laughs> you know, <'cause... laughs> Enneagram one. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. 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 What, what is the test? Is yeah. The test? Um, but the point isn't the test, right? Like there's right. something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very interesting um, that this is, I mean, essentially like he's trying, he wants, he wants the best life possible. Right. But what he thinks will get him there. Well, he's, he's been trying to live the best yeah, life yeah, possible he's, by yeah. doing all these commandments. Right. Like he thinks that's what it is, but am I missing something? And he right. was, but it wasn't what he wanted to hear. Right. Um, and I think that's where Nicolette kind of came in there and said, um, she said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Right. Um, and that's, and then he told the guy, hey, there's one more thing you can do. You can give away all you have and follow. Now, that's the big thing about Christianity, I think. Like, Jesus never asked anybody to be a Christian. Yeah. He only asked people to follow. Because Jesus was Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he never asked people to become a Christian. He asked people to follow. And in following, you find this life within what Christ was offering. Um, so that was a, a different take where she went with this passage, and it was powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing that she says um, that I wrote down when Jesus tells him this, that to sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Is she says, you know, cause the man thought that he'd been keeping the commandments, right? I've been doing this. And, and Nicola says, we can't really follow the commandments when we're profiting from unjust systems. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that shifts the sermon yeah. to us, right? And the unjust systems that we profit from. Mm-hmm. Well, and it shifts us away from like, you mean Christianity isn't just about following the rules? There's like this whole other part where justice is like baked into it. And connection with one another, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That that it this goes back to this. That the, the, so much of the Bible is about collective and communities and Americans, especially white Americans, we're so individualistic. So we tend to approach things as if I'm keeping the commandments and if I'm doing things right, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But what this is saying is that I can be following the rules, but if the rules are broken and skewed in a way that they cause someone else pain or hardship, then I'm really can't be okay. Mm-hmm. Even if I think mm-hmm. I'm okay. Yeah. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And it speaks to this idea of sort of like complicit, like being complicit in the breaking of commandments. Right. So it's right. like, you may not have personally murdered. You may not have personally stolen. However, if murder and theft are among you, yeah. is anybody really okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. It sounds like Jesus says no. <laughs> <laughs> you're not okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's pretty straightforward. You're, you're, right? you're not quite there yet. You know, I mean, you're not yeah. quite there. She talked about what eternal life meant. Like, I think the the guy was asking that question, what do I do to, do to get, get eternal, eternal life? life? Yeah, yeah. And what and, she says is, she says, what he was asking is, what is a better life now? Not mm-hmm. like, after I die and go yes. to the pearly gates. Right. Evangelical Christianity tells us that, right, we do these things, so we get this reward later. Later on. Uh-huh. Later on. Yeah. But... A biblical concept of eternal life means it starts here and now and is ongoing for an eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how she kind of starts it off. She said, I've been having this feeling. Uh, there's got to be more to this life than this. Yeah. And there's got to be more to this life than just following these rules. Like I'm doing everything I can and it still doesn't seem like enough. Right. Or there's a longing inside of me to saying there's more. Right. You know? 
And how many people do you think are asking that? Like, especially like right now. Everybody, right? Don't you think everybody? Yeah, raise your hand. Raise our hands. We will raise both hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So why do you think that's such a perpetual, like, human question? Well, growing up in um, the church I grew up in, it was the rules. You know, Mm -hmm. the rules is what guides you to do to be a good. Mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. right? Um, the American dream mm-hmm. pushes us to have this idea of we we grow up, we get a family, we get a house, we get in debt. You know, we pay all that off as we live out our life. You know, um, and so we're kind of programmed to just do this. Mm-hmm. And that the message uh, of the American dream as it is, is in direct contrast to this message where what is rewarded yes. is the accumulation of stuff. If you're doing everything right and you're a good taxpayer and you yeah. get a job and all that kind of stuff, your reward is the stuff that you get. And what you're left with is this feeling of deep de- dissatisfaction that you're leaving this meaning f- meaningless, empty, sort of shell of an existence uh, uh, to wit you could almost say you're already dead because mm-hmm. you've done everything you're going to do and this is all there is. There's nothing left for me to do here. I'm a success when I'm 22, 25, 30 or whatever because I have all this stuff. Uh, what's what's So what's next? So what's next now that I have this stuff and this deep dissatisfaction that comes of that? Also, I also like the fact where she talked about we have so much stuff that we forget how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Like we yeah. have so much right. wealth right. that we can just pay somebody to, to you know, mow our grass, and we can pay somebody to fix our house and and all this stuff, and it and it we forget how hard it is to for us as Americans mm-hmm. to to ask for help because that seemed as we're not making it. And she connected right. that with the part of the story where Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle right. mm-hmm. than for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of God. And so she's saying that, like, the more we have, the more privilege, the more safety, the more security, the more comfort we have, the more we can provide for ourselves, right? We get whatever we want. The harder it is to ever ask somebody else for help. Right. Um, and then that she she takes that a step further and says, when we are no longer asking other people for help, how does that then shape the way we think of people who do ask for help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? They're suddenly beneath us right. because they have yeah, to ask for help. Weakness, right? we it's, yeah. a, it's, right. it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, all of this is like, it's, it's all really is baked into the idea of the American dream, right? Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, this week. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts in the world is a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend. Um, and they had on um, this week this um, author, Mia Birdsong, who wrote a book, How We Show Up. And the book is all about rethinking relationships and community. And what it really does is push up against um, the American dream. And it frames the idea of how we think about relationships and who we are, like trying to thrive in society, up against the idea that the American dream is ultimately something framed by patriarchy and capitalism. Um, And so it's like the idea of an individual being, you know, it's that up by your bootstraps and thrive um, and don't pay attention to your community. And so her book, How How We Show Up, which I haven't read, but I'm like ready to read, um, is basically just trying to get us to rethink like community and what it means to be in community with people. Um, and I see that in what, you know, she's preaching about here is remembering that the community matters. Like, Right. Because we none of us can thrive as individuals mm-hmm. if we're not mm-hmm. all thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was pretty profound. So she our, our, we're doing this sermon series with a group of other churches. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of this podcast, we are a week behind everybody else. Um so we we started a week later Sorry. so that we could no not at all that's not a complaint that's just stating for the people listening um and so what that means is that Nicola preached the sermon last week mm-hmm. and at some point as she's talking about people who are struggling 
um, she ends up naming Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And she's naming recent events that mm-hmm. happened um, where people were killed. And in this instance, I think all of them were people who were killed by police. Is that mm-hmm. right? And I think so. Um, but since it was preached last week, she doesn't include Jacob Blake. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty profound listening to the sermon last night where we are as a nation right now in this very moment Mm -hmm. um, that we have right before us an instance of something horribly, horribly unjust that happened where Jacob Blake was shot by police for trying to stop a fight and he was in front of his children. Shot in the back. In the back. Shot in the back. Seven, Seven times. times. Yes. yes. I was going to say, not once. And now he's paralyzed and he is, as of yesterday, handcuffed in his hospital bed, even though he's paralyzed and he has no charges brought against him. Um, you know, people are saying he had a knife in his car and I was talking to Marty last night about like, I can't tell you how many times I found Marty's Leatherman in our car and it has a knife blade on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So having a knife in your car doesn't necessarily mean that it is intended for anything bad. And then there are protests in Kenosha, which totally makes sense. And some of those protests are becoming riots and there's things burning, which I know we don't like, but, Really, it totally makes sense. And then we have this white teenager who was able to walk through crowds with an AR-15 and police are like thanking these people for being there. And then he shoots three people and two of them are dead. And apparently he walked right past a police line and people are shouting he shot people and they let him go. So we, we, we couldn't have a more stark image right now of what it means for some people who think everything is okay in their world or that they can do anything and people that don't and how are any of us okay when that exists mm-hmm. and that's when we go so we just Jesus can't and say be. what can I do this is the zombie what, what life right yeah. this is the zombie mm-hmm. life it's yeah. got to be better than this it's got to be more there's got to be better um and when I see it, I know that I'm personally not like affected, like, but I still like what I think she was saying is like the community part of it is like, if I stand with people struggling, that means I struggle myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that longing yeah. that we keep coming back to asking, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something more. And, um, yeah. Well, doesn't it speak to also, like, the difference in, like, the question that the rich man asks, right, is, like, how do I get right. to the kingdom, right? Like, he's asking for the golden ticket, and he's not paying attention to what's actually happening in the community. Like, so, like, it feels like he's asked, like, Jesus doesn't call him on this, but he's asking the wrong question, right? Like, He's not asking, how do we bring the kingdom of God here? Mm. He's asking, how do I get Dude, for me my golden special pass? Because I'm rich. I've paid my way to everything else. Why can't I? You know, I've done all the rule following. But he's not. It's it's very like blinders on. And so we, yeah, like the question we would do well to ask maybe is... How do we bring the kingdom of God here, here. Mm-hmm. as opposed to what do I do to inherit? To get myself yeah. there, my personal path. Walking through the door that's in front of you as opposed to doing something to earn a key for something that is going to be, be later yeah. in the future. You know, how, do you, now. how do you find the door that's in front of you? Yeah. And if we keep thinking that way, like, what do I do to get this... Through the door. Like, what happens next? Is that longing still there, or does it go away? Yeah. No. Like, it's it's like, I don't think, I think this longing in us was born when we God created us. 
and that longing is for community, mm-hmm. to be in communion with God, like a divine invitation that He extends to us. And you know, she ends. She she kind of asks the rhetorical question, like the life that you uh, have made might not be all that is possible for you. So, what is possible for you? Mm-hmm. And then she goes in. I'm not trying to tell you to like sell all your stuff, but <laughs> but but yeah. even saying that, she gives some very hard to follow examples <laughs> of things that she She's and doing. people that she know are doing. Right? Yeah, yeah, she gave yeah. up her career to become a dog walker so that she could do activism. Uh-huh. Right? How many of us would give up retirement and health insurance? <sighs> 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 Right? That's a big ask. And she describes, um, like, she was having a hard time, I think, getting out of some debt. And so a friend paid that debt off for her and then said, instead of paying me back, why don't you start making monthly payments to a Black-led organization, like any organization of your choice? And so that's what she's done. And then she describes somebody who's, like, signed over the deed of their house to like the native tribe tribe. that owns the land that the house is on. Um, People who are giving away large amounts of their inheritances to pay reparations, um, knowing that their ancestors did not accumulate their wealth solely by their own hard work, right? Mm -hmm. That, That our nation was built on other people who weren't, either had land taken away from them or were forced to do labor for free. Um, And gosh, like the hard part of that is that since we live here and everybody in this room is white, like that's us. Yeah, right, (laughs) right, right. Yes. Would we not do the same thing? It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm good. You know, maybe, maybe I can make, maybe I can live with this dissatisfaction that I have for my life. I don't know. That's and then we're ask. the guy in the you story. Know? Yeah, right? we're the, we're guy the, in the rich story. young guy. Like, yeah, you know, I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. I think I'm good. Wait, I have a question. Why do you Why do you think he walked away? Why do you Why do you think the guy in the story didn't say okay? Because it's too hard. What I mean, what makes it hard? What's the Is Is it the acknowledgement that they're suffering in the world and other people are suffering significantly? Is it that uh, he's a have, have not? Is it that uh, the attachment and the familiarity with the accumulation of stuff is something he understands and this is going into the unknown that makes no sense? Or what, what, I mean, what, what makes it, what, what makes it hard? Well, I I think he was, yeah. (laughs) Pick pick one. I think he was looking like we've kind of talked before, like just like, how are the tests going to be like uh-huh. yeah that, that's kind of the mentality he wasn't looking for an experience he was looking for a how-to uh-huh. and you know that that's kind of the difference you know rule following being a good christian knowing the bible that's all great but until you experience the communion with god uh-huh. you don't get it mm. And I don't think he was ready for the experience. And that's why Jesus called him out and said, well, follow me. Just hang out for a week and we'll reevaluate yeah. next Tuesday. If you, really want, yeah. if you really want more to this life, then follow. Yeah. And that's why I think that zombie metaphor is so important because mm-hmm. like, that's the thing, right? Like we're locked into the zombie life. It, it is cultural. Um, and so you know, people aren't looking for, people have the longing, but they're not necessarily looking to change their lives. They're looking for a threefold plan to happiness. So to dig, just to, to agree with you, to say mm-hmm. that like, this is, this is what we're used to, right? This is the norm, what mm-hmm. we can see. You know, Marty said something about like relationship with God and connection with God. And that's what's opened us up. But in the story, when the rich man leaves and Jesus says the part about it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for the rich people to see the kingdom of God, even the disciples look to Jesus and say, well, then who can be saved? Like if he can't, who can? (laughs) Which means that even Jesus's disciples can't see outside of 
right? Uh-huh. The system. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. they're close to Jesus, yeah. right? They're, exactly. they're his followers who've already given up everything. And still, they've bought in to enough of this, whether you call it prosperity gospel or, I mean, today we'd call it American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is that you're buying into that even, even they're sucked into it. What? Rich people can't get into heaven easily? If they can, who can? Right. Yeah. What's the point of getting That's rich? That's the disciples. Right. Yeah, what's the point of being rich if it can't get into heaven, you know? I don't know. I I was trying. I was sitting here thinking, like, what would it look like for me to like, for for me and Robin, like, to sell all our stuff and give it away? We wouldn't do it because our kids, kids, our kids would look at us like, <laughs> what the heck? And then like having the conversations with our families about it, like, what what are you doing? Like, you're not making good choices here. Yeah. And it's like all this stuff will just start, you know, flooding in of of what are you doing? Why can't? Why are you doing that? Why can't you just well, Keep it going, you know. You know, what's what's really funny about that is, so in 2010, um, my husband suddenly lost his job. And so one of the ways that we decided to deal with it is we gave away like two thirds of our stuff, mm-hmm. like just practically overnight. We were like, OK, we have a different reality right now. We're going to give away our stuff. And and we moved into like this one bedroom condo that we've lived in now a decade. But what's amazing to me is the way our friends responded to it. People weren't like, oh, you're making such a good choice for you. They were like, oh, but aren't you, like, you're getting rid of an elliptical machine? Like, aren't you going to regret that? Like, people could not handle the fact that we were giving away stuff. And it's like, Mm. this doesn't impact you. Why is this so hard for people to, like, and people were like, really? You're going to live in a, a one bedroom? Like, don't you need, at the time, Eric and I had three stories and four bathrooms for two humans. And people are like, like people, I mean, people expect you to want more. Like, and, and they almost want it for you. It's kind of interesting. My friend Bradley, he works in uh, property management. Mm -hmm. And he says, people really do judge you by what you have and what you don't. Mm -hmm. And he sees it every day. I'm like, wow. It's like, why Why do we judge each other on, on what we have? On stuff, yeah. On, yeah. On the... yeah, I mean, one of the first people that came to our condo, and for a while we didn't have people over to our condo afterwards, one of the first people that came over was like, oh, I see, it's like, an, it's like a college apartment. <gasps> <laughs> yep. Cool. Cool, yeah, cool. <laughs> Serves the purpose, we're not there. Come on in. If you did it right, like, you know, if you did it Want right. some tea? Come on, I can man. walk yeah. to the waterfront. What now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I don't know. I have a question for Paul. Ooh. Are you ready? You have have I'm sure it's a softball. It's, I only have softballs for you. So back in March, my friend Paul was walking around talking about another version of this story. Because you kept quoting Matthew 19, which mm-hmm. after you get past the divorce stuff. It's the same story. It's the same story. Yeah, it is the same right? story. And so we were having conversations where over and over, like, you would gesture at me with your finger and you would be like, Matthew 19. Yeah. Why? Where'd that well, come from? I was afraid you were going <laughs> to ask me to remember what I was thinking in March. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't I know, remember I was a different what he was thinking then. last week. But uh, I just, you know, want to throw that at him. Uh, it, it's the it's the missing the point conversation, correct? It yeah, yeah. It's... it's um, if if I recall, it's the um, searching for things. It, it reflects back to the searching for things later when it's to be had now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to be had now. Um, everything you want, you can have it right now. It just might not be where you think it is. It might not be where you think it is. And your efforts to... I mean, why did the guy in the story have so much stuff? You know, he did what he was supposed to do. He followed the commandments. He accumulated some things. It looks like what one would do. Mm-hmm. You know, yet it was dissatisfying. Something was was missing from that. Um, the the point was missed, and again, the, the point that is missed is it's not later; it's now. It's now because now is all there is, um, and that's why it's it's eternity. Because Robin, Marty, for your entire life, it's been the eternal now. It's always been now. It always will be now. Okay, and so when you when you get to the nowness of it, that's the eternity. So what do you have to do now? And everything about everything about the American dream 
is about working now towards a better future. I mean, we were, I mean, we weren't even supposed to do it for ourselves. We were supposed to do it for our kids, mm-hmm. right? And, and we were supposed to do it so our kids could have it better than we could. That was always the, the pitch. And to think about this as, you know, if, if, if you live your best life now doing the things that you have now, it works out. You know, the, the kids, the kids raise, ends up being, being raised themselves with good, good, uh, role models on how to live a happy life at home, but it starts with you in inside of yourself. And and for me, it, it almost turns into a question of, of, of faith. It's a faith question. It's like, do you do you have the faith to believe that get, getting rid of all of your stuff and getting rid of the hope of doing something that is painful now or doing something dissatisfying now can lead to a better later on, or accumulating all this stuff because so you can be happy later on doing a lot of stuff you don't like getting this degree that you don't really want to get and spending all this money to go into massive debt is going to get you a job where you're going to be happy in five years from now um all of this stuff you know i'm going to suffer through introductory and middle management so eventually i can be an executive in the c-suite and i'm going to be happy then and that constant distraction of what could be is always pulling you out of the of the now, which is the only place that you actually are or ever have been or ever will be. Ergo, the point I think was missed by this fine gentleman in this story. In two books, is he in just two or is he in three? Is this, oh, is it two? Is this just the, you know? But I mean, he made it into two. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty cool. It's an important story. Yeah, um, it's an important story. And the fact that it is in there twice means something that I don't know. And but he's in there twice. Yeah. Well, that means that, that means you, that means that both Matthew and Mark like, no, thought this helped okay. tell yeah. their yeah it was important to both of them. Because it's interesting because around March when you were preaching at Robin, like that's when like you're preaching for Mark and Paul's walking around citing Matthew 19. Like, it was a weird like <laughs> synchronicity moment for me where I'm like, and then I'm also reading uh, the Lenten devotional where uh, Richard Rohr is also like kind of talking about this and is using the phrase missing the point. So like I have like, it's like a billboard saying to me, missing the point. We are all missing the point. Yeah. And I keep thinking too, like if, if the guy went and sold all his things, what would his attitude be? Yeah. Like, would he be doing it knowing that this is going to relieve me and I can embrace this longing that I've had? Or is he going to do it like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this to go follow Jesus. Well, and does he make it into the book if he does, right? Like, yeah, like is he in the book because he walked away right. or is yeah. he in the book because he asked the question? Well, there's that other kind of other little story that not too many people talk about. I, you guys, obviously, this is, like, what is this? What's the game that we play? It's the... The Bible drill. The Bible drill. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, the, the story about the, the two people who uh, did actually sell their land and took the money and they donated, but they kept some and they both fell over dead. What's oh, that yeah. one? That's the, an axe. Yeah, that's, that's an axe. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot the name. Yeah, they, they, like, it was like a community pot Everybody yeah yeah it was the community pot yeah and they held on to that and uh i think peter is it a it starts with an a a lot who has ananias, a bible ananias. Ananias. Yeah. <laughs> ananias. but i don't remember different. yeah there's two different yeah there's two of them yeah, yeah. Um, i'm just so proud of the restraint y'all use because you know this is a podcast they can't see you so these two pastors could totally just look stuff up and be like well we just happen yeah. to know all the things but they're just authentic and real but i yeah. think robin just googled it ananias and sapphira <laughs> sapphira yeah acts <laughs> like four or five six somewhere like. so how is that story different from different from this one or how to do those two stories sort of compare because they seem a little down the same sort of highway if not the same exit off the top of my head, I don't remember the reason why they held the land back. Um, but it wasn't part of being the community. Right, right, right. right. And man. Acts 5, Marty was right. Yes. He wins the Bible The Bible drill. drill. I believe that <laughs> they won. He's won too. That's his yeah. second. He's now in the lead. I don't play Bible drills for the record because I will always yeah, play to lose. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't remember why. So they, they lied about it. Oh, they lied about it. Well, he was very, the yeah. guy in Mark was very forthcoming about yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know the reason why, but yeah, the consequences was fatal. Yeah. Which goes back to the whole zombie metaphor, right? Because right. zombies aren't fully alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So holding on to the stuff, yeah. the security. And it goes back to the system that we are privileged to be a part of and watching people who are hungry. Mm-hmm. And, and she mentioned something like that. And, and one thing that I think connects the story with the systems is that... Um, when Jesus tells the man to keep the commandments, Jesus then names them. Mm-hmm. But right. what is very interesting about Mark is that Jesus does not say, thou shalt not covet. Instead, he quotes Leviticus, you shall not defraud. Mm-hmm. So it's still one of the Torah, one of the, the law, but it's not like one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's not one of the Big Ten. And I remember when I was researching for this sermon, at first that made me ask, well, did this guy get this money from defrauding? Like, that's got to be pretty significant that Jesus takes away one of the Ten Commandments to add something else. Yeah, yeah. That makes that important. So did this man get his money by defrauding? And there's nothing else in the story that makes it sound like this guy is anything other than this genuinely authentic person who kept the commandments and tried to do his best. Yeah. So I think what that lands on is it's not necessarily that this one individual actively defrauded people, but that the system is set up so that you cannot acquire wealth without defrauding others. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. Oof. Yeah, it was a, it was a <laughs> right? sucker punch. That really yeah. stinks. Yeah. It does. Yeah, that really stinks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oof. it makes you think about all the people standing out in the intersections with the signs, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I'm full, but I'm passing you by, but you're living in the same system I am, and you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't you think we do this in part because we have this sense, we have this sense of, like, scarcity all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, how much of, like, the fact that we won't give up our retirement and, you know, give up those health bennies is because we we have this deep-seated fear of scarcity like if we if we give too much then there won't be enough for us and then we're we're so afraid of losing our own security um that it structures everything despite the fact that there's like there's an abundant amount of research into happiness and fulfilled life that tells us that like just ongoing reckless accumulation of wealth does not make humans happy like there's just a certain point where it just levels out but like we don't listen to it we're just like but no if i just get xyz then i'll feel secure or i'll feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. it's a lie but that is a lie but there is some reality that that's how the system is set up oh yeah right you said Mm -hmm. if i don't have um the retirement or these help bennies there are people who are literally starving to death because there are people in their family, they don't have health insurance to take care of right. people that are sick, right? right. So it's right. a little Pollyanna pie in the sky to say that we don't need to reserve any of those things, right? It, it would be irresponsible yeah. for us as parents to not try and have health insurance for our children because mm-hmm. who knows what could happen to them. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to take care of them. Mm-hmm. But... That's how the system is set up. Mm-hmm. And there are other systems that take care yeah. of people who are sick. And even with health insurance, you're still like having to pay a lot of extra bills after. Oh, yeah. You know, right. so it's not like it's health insurance theater. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Mm. But scarcity and the, the idea of scarcity versus abundance. There is enough to take care of everyone, right? Our system just isn't set up so to do that. Um, and maybe that's where the giving up comes in is how, how do we, how do we work to take care of one another mm-hmm. so that nobody is going through extreme poverty because someone gets sick mm-hmm. um, or that someone can lose a job and you can downsize and be okay. Whereas other other household units, somebody loses a job and there's 
there's mm-hmm. there's not that ability to just downsize and be okay. It becomes yeah. well, and that's the thing. Like she ultimately in the sermon, she's you know she's pointing out the fact that Jesus is he's calling for this man to follow him, and she describes Jesus, and I love this, just basically as a homeless preacher because yeah, that's right. kind of what he yeah. is. Homeless dark skinned preacher, right? Yeah, yeah. Says, yeah, homeless yeah. preacher. And so it's just like. You know, like, Jesus is living in this world, but, like, somehow, you know, the disciples, they're getting their needs met. They're not buying into the scarcity myth. And yet the guy still is like, I mean, he sees that, right? He sees the disciples, and he still walks away, and the disciples are also like, yeah, I don't know why we're doing this either. <laughs> it's it's risky. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, like oh, wait a minute, I was following you because I really thought... I could get into this eternal life business. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they realized that guy can't get in. Well, how can I? Get I have in? no hope. Uh, you know, I'm done. So it's still sort of the ghost of the economy past sort of <laughs> yeah. still haunting, you know, yeah. haunting the disciples as they, as they're in it. But you're absolutely right though. Robin. I mean, it's a, it's a resource distribution problem. There's more than enough food to go around for everyone. You know, it's a distribution problem. And the problem with the distribution is not that there's not, infrastructure to, to get it to people who don't have it it's the it's the it's the notion of you can have it but you have to give me something for it mm-hmm. you know how much how much food in america ends up in the in the dumpster every night shock it's shocking it's shocking it's shocking oh um you didn't go one year i took kids to passport which is a, a there's a children's camp and a youth camp mm-hmm. um and it was one year i took kids to the youth camp um, and that year the camp pastor had grown up in Liberia during the time of the civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was so good at not shaming those teenagers, but allowing people through story to see how their experience growing up was different from his mm-hmm. youth. Mm-hmm. And one night of camp, he had people drag out a large trash can and it was heavy because they, dr- they had to drag it and it took multiple people. And that in that trash can was all of the food that we thrown away after dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he very gently and lovingly talked about kids that break rocks or at that time, mm-hmm. um, you know, to make sure that their families had food to eat. At night, so yeah, we're easily wasteful. <laughs> we are very wasteful. We but are very wasteful. To go around if we're there's not enough to go around, and um, so yeah, and and that's the that's the lockout. You know, is in, in order to have this food, I can sell it to you, but I can't give it to you. So you have to have not something to give me, so you can have it. And if if you can't participate in that, you're you're sort of stuck. And that's why it sort of requires giving with expecting nothing in return for it. And that frame of mind, this is a whole nother trail. So I, I'm, I'm not trying to derail us. We can get back to here, but that whole frame of mind, that whole, you give me something for something else that is so ingrained in everything about us. that has even shaped the way that Christians think about salvation, mm-hmm. right? We've even turned salvation into this exchange. Transaction. It's a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is what God requires. So this is what I give so that I can get. So, I mean, it's just, that's how ingrained that is in us, that it shapes everything from how we feed each other to how we think about yeah. salvation. Yeah, so might that be part of the reason the the the, the gentleman in the story's mind was blown is that everything he understood about everything yeah. was transactional. And, everything. And, and what he was just confronted with was something that was so insurmountably mind-blowing that he's like, I don't even understand that. You know, it's like, you know what? I don't know. Okay. So maybe he well, didn't leave because he talk. couldn't do it. Yeah, maybe like, he left his mind like, I don't know blown. what you're talking about. Well, yeah, maybe that couldn't possibly it be it. That yeah. couldn't possibly be it because yeah. it's outside of my, my realm of understanding. He struggled to ask for help to try to do it. Yeah. And that gets yeah. back to what she says she was in the sermon, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we kind of do that on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and I mean, that's part of like, you know, if we want to like take some charity towards him, like he comes as an individual 
who has worked and has made himself wealthy. Where are his people? Where's his community? Right. Yeah. Like, he comes alone. He comes alone and he's just like, hey, how do I get in? And like, so there's a little part of me that's like, you know, where's the, I get by with a little help from my friends. Like, yeah, he, such a huge house. His neighbors are like four, four miles away, you know, <laughs> right. from the big property that he has. And so he doesn't right. have so a sense of community. So he gets in community. his Hummer and he drives home. Yeah, he doesn't know? have a sense of community because his neighbors are too far away. <laughs> I, I mean, you have sympathy for the guy. I mean, he Homer's wanted to. Biblical, right? No, okay. You know, he wanted to. I mean, he, he went did. up to Jesus. Yes. Yeah, he. I mean, he. He, he, the he, he started he a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's that's the hard part for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Is actually the acknowledgement, to to a, acknowledgement that yeah. he's not happy. This guy says that this is something that some people can sort of figure out. I'll go see what he has to say about it. You know, it's like that's why that's why I keep getting stuck. That's like, why didn't he? Do it. You know, it's like, why did he walk away? He, he did the hard stuff, yeah. which is the acknowledgement, the initiating the conversation, the... Mm. And I would you know, love... Like, God, he was that close. This he is that one close, story you know? that I wish the Bible would come back to. Like, I would love sequel. to get the, yeah. like, does he ever come back? Yeah, the sequel. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. does he at some point come back or does he just never get to a point where he can do yeah. it? Like, what's the conversation when he gets home? I'm assuming yeah. there's someone at home. Like, yeah, right. Who can I talk to about this? Does he have a dog? Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a fond goat? Something. Yeah. It's like, does he, yeah. What did he have for dinner? When he, what did he do? Did he? Well, so we won't know how he takes it and what he does with it. But we, as listeners to this sermon, as readers of the story today, like we do get to decide like what our version looks like beyond this. Yeah. So yeah. where do we go with this lesson? Like... It doesn't sound like Marty Robin. You're not gonna. The kids will be very happy to know you're not gonna <laughs> and, sell all their stuff and, and insured. The kids will be insured. <laughs> right. That'll be our leverage <laughs> with our kids. And honestly, Do it or like, sell your toys. As a church, you know, we're pretty happy probably uh, that you're not gonna just be like, so we're quitting our jobs yeah. and we're gonna go full time activists. I mean, yeah. you know, you do you, but so it doesn't sound like that's the the ticket for you. Um, Paul, we just started another year at our employer. We did, Nova, yeah, we did, we did, uh, we did. Um, so it doesn't sound like we're quitting our jobs either. Like, so, so what do we do? How do we, how do we live this message? What does that look like? Well, she said something in her sermon that stuck with me. I don't know if I wrote it down right, word for word, but she said, "Your souls can't be satisfied until we embrace this kind of community idea." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it starts by maybe just asking for help mm-hmm. and saying, hey, let's do this together. Or if we have an idea of how we can better serve our community, let's do it together. Um, you know, yeah, I think there is more to this life and it is with people. You know, at the beginning of the sermon when Nicola is telling the story about the zombies and then she leads that into to life, what this rich, full life is that this this young man, this rich man wants. She talks about, you know, going with this zombie metaphor, the zombies pulling off the gray, you know, that there's there's life is meant to be free. Life is meant mm-hmm. to be rich. Life is meant to be colorful, vibrant. Um, and then she closes the sermon by saying like, say no to the zombie death march. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that is a, a constant pull, right? A constant tension of looking for the rich, full, colorful, um, kind of what I would consider flourishing and abundant life. Mm-hmm. And then with me, it's what I consider to be my responsibilities and that sort of thing, which I often kind of put the, the things that make life gray in that, that bin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, there's this constant, like, not setting aside or letting go of the colorful, rich life because of what I feel obligated to do, but allowing myself to, to pull towards this. And then I think there's also this element of looking out beyond myself mm-hmm. and seeing where I see grayness um, mm-hmm. so that everyone, right, can experience this rich, full, colorful life that actually is 
life. Um, and that's a constant tension, right? Yeah. Because those obligations and responsibilities are there. But there are things that I make obligations and responsibilities that really I could just leave behind. <laughs> like the rich man. Uh-huh. Um, so sorting out what are those so that I'm experiencing what I consider abundant life, that I'm sharing that with my children so that they don't think they have to grow up as zombies mm-hmm. in the grayness and not being complacent with other people stuck in the zombie life. Mm-hmm. Well, this it's, is, I, I mean, this is Joseph Campbell's follow your bliss, right? And the, that whole hero's journey of you have to, do have the struggle where things are not going your way and there's insurmountable challenges and you have to go on this, on this quest in order to, in order to uh, solve these, these issues of dissatisfaction and and struggle. And the, the old you literally has to die, Mm -hmm. has to die uh, for the new hero to emerge, you know, that follows one's bliss. And it's about you're this this gentleman in 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 the book didn't die his old self right wasn't able to, to die so he could follow his bliss and, and find his, his true inner happiness and, and his true calling that he that he wanted because i mean he knew he was dissatisfied he might not have known what that bliss was but he knew that he wasn't happy the way it was you know and he, he sort of he didn't do it he didn't do the joseph campbell yeah. thing in the hero's journey just watch Star Wars. That's <laughs> that's yours. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just watch Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm thinking, and maybe this is very self-focusing. I don't know, Paul. Uh, but you know, she talks about this abundant life. Like Paul and I have this brand called this most unbelievable life. Like that's something that we're after. It's not this most good life. It's not this most easy life. It's not this most straightforward life. No, because you or don't get uncomplicated. You don't get those. Yeah. Right. Um, and so on our website, we have this quote from Mary Oliver. Uh, that's like one of my favorite quotes in the world. Uh, but it says, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Yeah, you know it, Robin. I know it. Um, <laughs> there's a song about it. <sighs> Which song? Gunger. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, awesome. Check the show notes. Check the show notes for that. Um, But I just, you know, I love that because it's like, it's, it's one wild and precious life. And um, I have a tattoo on my arm that's like one life, one chance. And it's like, you know, what are you going to do with it? Um, How are you going to make it unbelievable? Are you going to just collect stuff and be proud of your stuff? Or is it more? And I think, Robin, like what you're talking about, it's so important. It's like that balance between like knowing what the work is. And when I say the work, I mean, knowing that you having an abundant or an unbelievable life for yourself isn't actually enough, right? Like because the human journey is so interconnected. So it's like, how do you go forth and like work towards abundance for all and also savor moments where you can capture abundance for yourself like you have to do both in order for for you to really have abundance Mm -hmm. i think and there's a lot of talk about that among activists Mm -hmm. uh, making time for rest making time for Mm -hmm. joy yes um i went to dc after the week after trump um, walked over to St. John's to the church, church yeah, with the Bible. Right. Um, and so there were protests going on before that about George Floyd. There were protests continuing. There were protests that went on well after that. And I went one day thinking, I don't know, that there would have been like some protests happening. Um, but the protests happened that night. And during that day, the church, St. John's, had pretty much given their little front patio to the Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh And there were huge speakers out and they were blaring, you know, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, like pride, liberation, happy dancing songs. Uh And there were people dancing in the street Uh instead of people protesting in the street at that moment. Uh And, but, but actually I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it would also be very valid to say that having that joy 
and freedom in that space in that moment was in yeah, this of protest. itself an act of yeah. protest. Yeah. Um, but there is, I mean, there is this right truth that people that are doing work of uncovering and pulling off the zombie gray mm-hmm. have to make space and time for joy and hope and celebration mm-hmm. and dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine was talking to me about like right now, one of the big hot topics is where many of us are going back to school and the kids are going back to school right now, uh, is thinking about like, how do you make your classroom anti-racist right now? And one of my friends was talking to me about a friend who was developing a syllabus that wasn't just focused on black struggle, but was focused on highlighting black joy. Um, and so it's like creating that opportunity as this this anti-racist sort of movement, not to just shine a light on black struggle, which I think is incredibly important, but mm-hmm. also to make space to see black joy. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was such a beautiful like way to approach it, to not just look at the challenge, but to to celebrate um, the fullness of life. Mm-hmm. Sounds like bucket lists. Mm. Like we make bucket lists. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> we make bucket lists of things that we want to do in life that would bring us this joy, this this longing, and all this stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah. And but we have to make a list and fit it in. Instead of making a bucket list, our life in a way that coincides with community and everything else. And, mm-hmm. Um the list is the point. It's not the destination, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's Maybe that's a good question we can ask our listeners. What's on your bucket list? Ah, Give us some feedback. Question. That is a good question. Yeah. We do like comments and responses um, from our listeners. Um, that's that's a thing that we haven't really asked for directly before, but I think is definitely a thing we could do. Um, we love. Uh, we know people are listening. Thank you. Um, we love you. Um, but we would love to hear from you as well. Um, so I hope that you will reach out to us. Um, how can people reach out to the Faith Made Welcome podcast? Well, there's comment buttons on where you get your uh, podcast. Yes, where you get your podcast. Uh, we also have an email address, which is just faithmadewelcome at gmail.com. Uh, so folks can reach out and give us feedback uh, that way. You can also always um, reach us through the Commonwealth Baptist Church website. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook possible. page. Facebook page. I believe the church also has a YouTube page. Isn't that true? Yes. Go subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like yeah. and subscribe. Cool. All right. Well, where are we going next week? with this fine podcast. I think you're going to get to hear Paul again. Start a new series on faith and science. Mm -hmm. So in September, uh, the first week in September, we are going to dialogue with Paul and with Dr. Graham Walker, a theology, philosophy, ethics professor at McAfee School of Theology. And we are going to talk a little bit about faith and science. Do they really have to be enemies? Mm-hmm. Or can they be friends? Are they maybe possibly even in the same family? And then I think we're going to move into looking at the creation story and evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Can those somehow coexist? And then we'll move into looking at creation care, stewardship of the earth versus domination of it. And I think we're going to wrap up by talking about <laughs> faith and vaccines just because. That's the thing. Why not stir the pot? Yeah. yeah. The and pot. so our listeners will get to listen to the lovely Paul Fitzgerald. Uh, I, the PhD in English, are g- is going to sit out and run the soundboard <laughs> and let my dear paleontologist PhD <laughs> step on in. <laughs> Maybe we can play the They Might Be Giant song about 
uh, being a paleontologist? Oh yeah, there is. There are several. There are several out there, right? <laughs> uh, that we can we can dial up for the playlist. But yeah, it's going to be great. So after this podcast, the next four are going to be uh, faith and science made welcome. So yeah. I guess so. Yay! <laughs> and I think our closing kind of thought with this is trust the longing, right? Yeah, if you've got a longing, listen to it. That's what Joseph Campbell said. That's right. You know. That's right. It. Yeah. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. It's been great. It's been great. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com.